0: to full manhood, and known the joy of a woman's body. True it is that my love for Queen Lostris was never consummated, for I was castrated before she was born, but it was all the more intense for never having been assuaged. I had nursed her as a child, and had shepherded her through her long and joyous life, counselling her and guiding her, giving all of myself to her without stinting. In the end, I held her in my arms as she died. Before she went on into the underworld, Lostris whispered to me something which I will never forget. I have loved only two men in my life. You, Teta, were one of them. Those were the sweetest words I have ever heard spoken. I planned and supervised the building of her royal tomb, and laid her once beautiful but then wasted body in it. And I wished that I could go with her into the netherworld. However, I knew that I could not, for I had to stay and take care of her children, as I had cared for her. Truly, this has not been an onerous burden, for my life has been enriched by this sacred charge. At sixteen years of age, Tehuti was already a woman fully fledged. Her skin was lustrous and unblemished, her arms and her legs were slim and elegant as those of a dancer, or the limbs of her father's great war-bow, which I had carved for him, and which I had placed on the lid of his sarcophagus before I sealed his tomb. Dahuti's hips were full, but her waist was narrow as the neck of a wine-jug. Her breasts were round and taut. The dense, golden curls that covered her head were a gleaming glory, Her eyes were as green as her mother's had been. She was lovely beyond the telling of it, and her smile wrung my heart whenever she turned it upon me. Her nature was gentle, slow to anger, but fearless and strong-willed once she was roused. I loved her almost as much as I still love her mother. You have done well with them, Taita. Arton gave praise unstintingly. They are the treasures which may yet save our very Egypt from the barbarian. In this, as with many other things, Arton and I were in full accord. This was the true reason why the two of us had come to this remote and secluded location. Although everyone else in the palace, including Pharaoh himself, was convinced that we had met here to continue our endless rivalry across the Baobord. I did not respond at once to his remark, but I dropped my eyes to the board. Artan had made his latest move while I was still watching the girls. He was the most skilled player of this sublime game in Egypt, which was as good as saying, in the civilized world. That is excepting me, of course. I can usually best him in three games out of four. Now, at a glance, I saw that this game would be one of my three. His last move had been ill considered. The layout of his stones was now unbalanced. It was one of the few flaws in his game that often, when he had convinced himself that victory was within his grasp, he threw caution to the winds and disregarded the rule of seven stones. Then he tended to concentrate his full attack from his south castle and allowed me to wrest control of either the east or the west from him. This time it was the east. I did not need a second invitation. I struck like a cobra. He rocked back on his stool as he evaluated my surprise move, and when at last the sheer genius of it struck him, his face darkened with outrage and his voice choked, I think that I hate you, tater. And if I don't, then I certainly ought to do so. I was lucky, old friend. I tried not to gloat. Anyway, it's only a game. He puffed out his cheeks with indignation. Of all the inane things I have ever heard you say, Taita, that is the most crass. It is not only a game. It is the veritable reason for living. He really was angry. I reached down under the table for the copper wine jug, and I refilled his cup. It was a superb wine, the very best in all of Egypt, which I had taken directly from the cellars beneath Pharaoh's palace. Arton puffed out his cheeks again.